Well, we are in Philippians. We finally made it to chapter 3. Say, woohoo! Only took nine weeks. But you know what? There's so much stuff there. And I'll tell you what, those songs were perfect. That, especially that song, uh, The Freedom We Have in Jesus. And Jesus has set us free. Amen. Because today's message is about beware of legalism. And legalism has crept into the church. And it's, it's a dangerous, it's a damnable doctrine. If you think that you can get to heaven based on your performance, you don't understand the Word of God. Jesus did it all. Amen? And we need to hold to that because it's easy for us, even that know that truth, to fall into legalisms. And you know what I'm talking about. You finally, maybe you've been saved five, six years, you start serving in the church. Next thing you know, you're looking at everybody else like, why aren't they serving? How come I'm only serving? How come they're not doing? You know, that's legalism. If God's telling you to do something, you need to do what God's telling you to do. And God may tell you to do something that he's not telling me to do. You may not ever be a pastor, and I may not be who God's called you to be, but we're to answer the call that God has placed upon our lives. And that's what's important. There's no greater position in a sense. Whatever God's asking you to do is just as important as what he's asking me to do. And so we want to make sure that we don't let legalism creep into our lives because it can. And it's creeped into the church. And so here we have Paul in chapter 3, and I love this. He says, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. Then he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And so here we got Paul who who starts to, I love this because he says, listen, first verse, he said, listen, I'm going to tell you this again. I know it sounds tedious. You've heard this before, but I got to tell you it again because it's safe, right? So it's like all through the Bible, wherever you see, remember, remember. Why? Because we forget. And, and a lot of times, like I'll say the same things over and over and people will say, you know what? You said that before. Good. You're getting it. Because why? We forget. You remember when you like read that verse and you go, man, that is an awesome verse. And finally, the Holy Spirit opens up the truth of that verse in your heart. And you're like, man, I'll never forget that. And then a year later, some pastor preaches on it and you go, oh, that verse, I forgot. It's a great verse. So it's good for repetition. If you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. You got to tell them over and over. Do that. Do, do, just do it. And that's what God's saying to us here. And he goes, and I love this because here's Paul. He's saying, finally, brethren, right? Like, in my interpretation, let me close with this. You've heard that from pastors, right? Let me close with this. And then they go on for 15, 20 minutes. Well, I like Paul because he says, finally, brethren, let me close with this. But he's only halfway through his sermon. So he's still got another half. And so he says, finally, brethren... Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So he's just been reminding them the goodness of God, what God has done. He's been telling them this whole theme of this book of Philippians is joy through suffering. 
Can you hold your joy during tough times? Can you hold your joy during times of suffering? Can you hold your joy during a storm or a fiery trial? He says rejoice in the Lord. Now what does that mean? Don't rejoice in your circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord. Because circumstances aren't always that great, are they? Don't rejoice in a man. Don't rejoice in, you know, your promotion in a sense. Rejoice in the Lord because the Lord makes everything possible. And when things go bad in our lives and we have tough times, and He told us we were, He promised we would have much tribulation in this world. But He says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're mine. You're only here but a vapor according to the Word of God. And that means you're going to spend eternity with the true and living God instead of eternity separated from Him in torment, in hell. That's good news. That's something to keep your eyes on when you're walking through this world and bombs are going off all around you and nothing's going your way. You've got to keep your joy. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on circumstance. I'm happy if I get this. I'm happy if it happens this way. I'm happy if I get to do this. And it, don't you find that happiness is only temporal? I'd be happy if I got a new truck. You got the new truck how long before? It's just a truck. Oh, I'd be happy if I got that new job. I got that new job. Oh, this job's so amazing. A few months later, it's just a job. Happiness is based on circumstance, but joy is an everlasting joy. It's a joy for all eternity. Why? Because you don't have your eyes on your circumstance. You have your eyes on Jesus. There's an old saying, keep your, keep your eyes six feet and higher. In other words, keep your eyes on Jesus. Trust in Him. You can't have true joy in your life, listen to me carefully, unless you know His Word. Because if you don't know His Word, this world will chew you up. But if you know His Word, whatever you're going through, it's all in the Bible, whatever you're going through, your joy is going to be based on God's promises to you and not your circumstance. But if you don't know this Word, listen, there's Christians out there that are depressed. There's Christians out there with a lot of anxiety. There's Christians out there that feel defeated. It's because they don't know the Word of God. If you knew the Word of God, you wouldn't let your circumstance take you down. The Word of God is truth. That's why we go through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to bring you through this so you know God's promises. So when, when stuff starts going around in the world like it's going today, you go, God said that was going to happen. It's kind of a bittersweet. I'm bummed it's happening, but Lord's coming soon. And you can get excited about that. But we have to teach the truth of God. And that's what this whole portion that we're looking at today is. Beware of legalism because legalism is not truth. You're not saved by your works. Because now you're saying that Jesus died on the cross in vain. And now you're saying God couldn't finish the work. I need to help Him. Man, if you ever want to help God, just go take a nap. He doesn't need your help. He did it all at the cross. You can't add anything to it. It's a gift. If you earned it, it wouldn't be a gift. Right? Can you imagine working all week for your employer and at the end of the week he goes, hey, I wanted to give you a gift. Here's a check. You're like, that ain't a gift. I earned that. See, there's no earning. 
salvation. We do good works for Jesus. Why? Because we love Him. But it doesn't change our status with Him. Jesus will never love you any more than He did the first day you got saved. He, will not, he doesn't love you more today than the day you got saved. Does that make sense? You cannot earn His love. He loves you just as much today as He did the first day you got saved. And you can't earn more favor with Him. You have a standing with God. You are going to heaven. You have eternal life. It was set in place and sealed the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ. He can't love you any more than He loves you now. And His love is amazing. And so we have to teach truth. But here's the thing. Wherever you teach truth, guess what happens? There's enemies. Enemies of the cross. Enemies that will slip in to the church. If you look there, chapter 3, go to verse 18 of Philippians. It says, here's Paul breaking his heart. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, and not the things of God. There are those who are going to come in and tell you, and, and we deal with it all the time. When I taught on Galatians, that was a great book dealing with legalism. The Son has set us free. We're free indeed. And we're not to be in bondage to legalism and rules and regulations. We can't earn our way to heaven. And every time I preach on these things, I get letters, I get emails from people listening on the radio or whatever, and, and they want to fight. They want to argue. They want to they say it's Jesus and. No, it's not Jesus and. If it's Jesus and, run. It's Jesus only. Jesus finished. What did he say at the cross? It is finished. He didn't say good luck. He didn't say I did my part. I hope you can pull it off. It's Jesus, period. And so whenever you hear someone, and you know, we hear this in you know, what we think are good Christian churches. We hear it amongst people who say you've got to do this and you've got to do that. You've got to jump through these hoops. And it's false doctrine. It's doctrines of demons. Now, that sounds rude and that sounds offensive, but you know what? You've got to be offend, offended if you believe that you can earn your way, that you have to do your part. So the interesting thing about Paul here is, that, like I said before, he says, finally, my brethren, it's kind of like, okay, in closing, I'm going to close with this, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just goes, oh, wait a minute. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. It's almost like he's like all excited telling him about joy. And he's going, man, just the joy of the Lord. Keep your joy. And God's just everything. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, yeah. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. And it's like all of a sudden he had a Holy Spirit moment. And the Holy Spirit said, remind him. Remind him. See, because when you go forward for Jesus, guess what? You come under attack. When you step up your walk for God, you're going to get blindsided by somebody. Are you ready for that? You need to be ready about it. He, sell, he says suddenly, he goes, beware of dogs. What's, what's he talking about? See, he's going to talk about legalism. He's going to talk about those people that think that you've got to earn your way. So he says, beware of dogs. Now, when we think of dogs, we don't think of them like Jewish people think of. Okay? So in, in Paul's day, a Jew would call a Gentile a dog. And a man would, a Jewish man would wake up in the morning and say, thank God I'm not a Gentile woman or a dog. 
That's how, they, that's how they thought. And they thought Gentiles were just dogs. Because in those days, like I know here in America, we love our dogs, right? How many have a dog? And it's just like, it's part of the family, isn't it? And you pamper that little puppy and you groom it and you take it down to get shampoos and you got its little bed and some toys for it and little treats and, you know, it's just such a part of the family. That wasn't what it was like back then. Dogs were, were considered unclean. They, were, they traveled in packs. They were, they were mutts. They were disease-ridden. They would come in and get into the trash. They would attack people and make people, they'd bite people and they'd get sick and die. They, they carried rabies and stuff like that. So to be called dogs was a horrible thing. And that's what the Jews used to call the Gentiles. And Paul turns it around and he calls these legalists dogs. He says, beware of dogs. Wow. Beware of these guys who bring in this diseased doctrine this mutt doctrine, this mix, and bite you with it. And then he says, beware of evil workers. What are evil workers? Evil workers, he's, he's saying basically beware of religious leaders. Beware of worldly leaders. Beware of these so-called men who think they've arrived and they've got something new that nobody else knows about. Be, be careful of these people that say they have a new revelation that the church doesn't know about it. The Bible tells me I have all I need right here. So when someone comes to me and says, I got a new revelation, I'm like, no, you don't. Because Jesus said, don't add to this Bible and don't take away from this Bible. I've got everything I need in this Bible. And when someone comes and tells me they got some new revelation that the church has never known about, I'm, I'm, I'm like, get behind me. <laughs> God says, I have all I need right here. So he says, beware of evil workers. So this is how subtle it is. You know, the, the, the real focus for Satan is on the church. Did you know that? Because Why? Because the church leads people to Christ. And that means they're not going to hell. Satan hates that. So his focus is, and, and he's, not, you know, he's not at the drug houses and the places of prostitution. He's, he's on the front lines. He's on the mission field. He comes, he'll walk right into church and sit down next to you. If he can't stop a church, he'll join it. And bust it up from inside with divisions and heresies and false teachings. Today on earth, Satan will lead more people into hell through religion than any other means. More than sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He, he takes people out with religion. I mean, look at all the religions that are going around today. And you've got to remember, Christianity is not religion. Christianity is a relationship with the true and living God. It's not religion. Religion is man's attempt to right himself with God. You can't do it. All other beliefs are religion. And so if he, can't, if, if, if he can get you out of Christianity and get you following these false teachings and these false religions, he destroys your faith. He destroys everybody around you. And maybe you'll drag people to those false religions too. He takes more people out with false religion than any other means. Paul is saying beware of evil workers. And so in his day, he'd be talking about beware of Judaism because Paul would go into a town, he would preach the truth, then they would come in and they say, was Paul here? And they said, yeah, we're saved by faith. Oh, Paul didn't tell you, you got to do this too. And, and Paul says, beware of these guys. 
Beware of the evil workers. The Judaism of the day. Now let me define to you what Judaism is. Number one, Mosaic Judaism. It started with Moses. It was the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was solid. It was right on teaching. Moses taught truth. And then along came the Judaism of the scribes and the Pharisees who took the books of Moses and twisted and perverted it and it became pharisaical Judaism. It's a perversion of the first five books of Moses that Moses taught correctly. The scribes and Pharisees twisted it and perverted it. And Jesus even warned us about that in the Gospels. Then the third style is what they call nationalistic Judaism. Nationalistic Judaism was during the time of Paul, which said that salvation and heaven belonged to Jews only. That Gentiles were only created for the fires of hell. And by just being a Jew, you could go to heaven. By just being born a Jew. And there's still people like that today that believe in a nationalistic Judaism. They don't love God. They don't obey God. They don't serve God. They say, I'm going to heaven automatically because why? Because I'm a Jew. Because I'm a Jew. You remember when our nation was a Christian nation? I'll tell you what, back in the 60s, when I was growing up, everybody in America was considered a Christian. You'd ask somebody, are you a Christian? I'm an American, aren't I? Same thing. Nationalistic Judaism, you know? I'm going to heaven. Why are you going to heaven? You don't even, you don't even talk about God. You don't serve God. I'm going to heaven because I'm a Jew. That's false teaching. That's, that's false doctrine. And now, in the last 2,000 years, even to this day, we have a Judaism which has been Christianized. And he says, beware. What does that mean? That means those that come in and try to add to Christianity the truths of being saved by faith and faith alone. Those who try to add to faith and they say, Jesus and. And he says, beware. And Judaism that's been Christianized is, is the type, especially back in Paul's day, and it's what we're seeing today in a lot of places. A lot of you have dealt with this. It's when someone says, in order to be a true Christian, you got to become a Jew first, right? Because the Jews were the chosen people. Why? They were set apart for the world to take notice that these were people that were devoted to God. There was a purpose in all that, but they started getting puffed up. They started twisting the scriptures. Then they thought they were the only ones that were going to go to heaven and all Gentiles were going to go to hell. And so they, they, they got so far away when Jesus came, they couldn't receive him because he was everything that they didn't believe in. And so they, then when, when people started getting saved and people started waking up to the fact that you're saved by Jesus Christ alone, the Judaizers came in, and even the Christians, because they could start getting upset that Gentiles were getting saved. I mean, the Jews were upset. The Gentiles were starting to get saved. And they said, the Gentiles need to become a Jew first. There's a process. And you can see how they kind of thought that because they were the chosen ones. And so they were going around and they were saying, okay, well, you've got, you've got to keep the commandments. You've got, to, uh, you've got to celebrate the feast. You've got to be circumcised. And then you could become a Christian. And Paul calls them out and says legalism, false doctrine. And you remember when the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost and it started to grow. And then all of a sudden the Jews started to hear that Gentiles were getting saved without becoming Jews first. They were in an uproar. 
And you remember back in the book of Acts when, um, when Peter and Paul went to Jerusalem to address the church there in Jerusalem who was headed up by the senior pastor, Jesus' half-brother James. And they got in this argument, and the legalists came, and the Judaizers came, and, and they were saying, listen, they were all upset that, that Gentiles were getting saved without becoming Jews first. And they were saying, you know, they got to keep the commandments, they got to get circumcised, they got to do this, they got to do that. And, and Peter stands up and he goes, whoa, whoa, let's stop right there. Why are we putting this yoke of bondage on the Gentiles, telling them that they have to do this, this, and this when we couldn't even do it ourselves? And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit hit James and he woke up to the fact and he said, you know what, you're right. If God's saving Gentiles, praise the Lord. They don't need to jump through those hoops. So I guess the point that I'm really trying to make to you guys that's so important is to beware of anyone that says you're saved by faith and. As soon as you hear that, run. You're saved by faith and keeping the commandments. You can't do that. Nobody can. You're saved by faith and water baptism. That's not what the Bible says. You're saved by faith and being part of our organization. No, it doesn't work. You're saved by faith and doing this and doing that. No. If you hear that run, because now they're adding to what Jesus did on the cross, and we see so many groups, so many religions doing that today. You're saved by faith and... Even saying they're under the banner of Christianity. They're not Christianity, and I'm going to hurt some feelings right now, but i got to speak truth. Those groups that say, oh, it's, it's by faith in Jesus and Jehovah Witness. Wonderful people. The nicest people ever. False doctrine. Not my Jesus. The Mormons. Sweetest people. They might even be sweeter than the Jehovah Witness. They say Jesus and False doctrine. Judaizers that would come in and say, well, yeah, it's Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised, you've got to be that, you've got to keep that. False doctrine. Islam. Ask a Muslim, how does he get saved? Just ask him. Uh, well, it's uh, faith and works. And no. <clears throat> you say it's all about Jesus. They go, oh, well, we believe in Jesus. He was a great prophet. See, they don't believe in him as being Messiah. You see how the enemy works? He kind of puts Jesus in the mix so everybody feels kind of comfortable, but it's, he's derailing them. Listen, if you leave L.A. and you're flying here and you're off one degree, it doesn't seem like much until you get to the area of Hawaii and you've missed it altogether. It's the same thing with truth. If you're off by one degree and you're buying into false doctrine, you'll miss heaven altogether. So he gives a strong warning. 2 Corinthians says this. Check it out. 2 Corinthians eleven twelve, But what I do, Paul says, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. 
Matthew 23, 15, Jesus speaking to the scribes, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourself. Beware of false doctrine. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. And then he says, beware of the mutilation. Oh my gosh, we got to go there. Beware of the mutilation. What is he talking about? They knew exactly what he was talking about. Beware of those that come in and say you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's what was happening. Beware of the mutilation. He said all that cutting away of the dead skin is just a mutilation. It doesn't save you. It's cutting away dead skin. And so here's what happened. Paul would come into a town like Philip. Philippi, like Galatia, like Ephesus, like Corinth, and he would give the gospel, and people would get saved, and then he'd leave, and then the Judaizers, as soon as they left, they would sneak in. Hey, did you hear about Jesus being saved by faith? And they go, oh yeah, Paul was just here. We're all saved by faith. Yeah, did he talk to you about being circumcised? They're like, circumcised? Oh, oh, circumcised of the heart, you mean? He goes, no, 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 no. It's got to be Got to be a physical circumcision. Circumcision of the flesh. Cutting away of that skin. That's what makes you holy. And they're like, well, Paul never told us that. Oh, man. You really need to do this. If you want to be holy like us. You want to be holy? Yeah, we want to be holy. All right. We'll meet us here tomorrow at 9 a.m. And we'll make you holy. Can you imagine that? All these men, young boys, 13, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 year old men, 60 year old men. Everybody shows up 9 o'clock Saturday morning or Friday, whatever. And they all gather in. Those guys go, okay, you guys ready to be holy? You want to be holy like us? They're like, we want to be holy. And they go, all right, well, get it out. And um, we're going to cut some skin off. And then you're going to be holy like us. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that was? And, and, then, and then they would say, but let me tell you, the more skin we cut off, the more holy you'll be. That's why Paul goes off in the book of Galatians. I think it's Galatians 5.12, where Paul goes off about these guys. He goes, don't you, what are you, are you listening to these guys? Are you serious? He goes, if these guys really believe that, the more skin that you cut off, the more holy you, you become, well then why don't they just cut the whole thing off? That's what the Bible says. That's what I like, Paul. If you really think that makes you holy, it says beware of the mutilation. Beware of these guys. Because circumcision doesn't save you. Turn to Genesis chapter 17. First book of the Bible. First book of the Bible. Genesis 17. Genesis 17, verse... Go to 10. Say amen if you're there. Okay, give you a couple more seconds. Genesis 17. Open your Bibles. You should have your Bibles. 
Okay. God talking to his people, he said, verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between, between what? Me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a what? Sign. A sign. Not salvation. See, circumcision was an a sign is, is an indication. Circumcision was an outward indication of something that took place inwardly. But it didn't save you. Just like baptism. When someone says you're saved by faith in Jesus and baptism, no, no, that's false doctrine. That's legalism. Baptism doesn't save you. The Bible says repent, which is giving your life to Jesus Christ, and then says be baptized. See, baptism is an indication, an outward indication that something has taken place inwardly. That there's a transformation just like circumcision was. And then Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 4, Jeremiah says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Well, how do you do that? Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Take away the foreskins of your heart. So it was never taught circumcision saved you. God was looking at a circumcision not made with hands. God was looking at a circumcision that takes place in every Christian's life. Whether you're a man or a woman, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you've been circumcised. Why? Circumcision of, heart, of the heart. Cutting away the foreskin, the dead skin, the things of this world. Cutting them away from your heart and replacing them with the things of God. Jeremiah 4 talked about that. Romans 2 talks about it. Colossians talks about it. Ezekiel 36 talked about it. They all said the same thing. What might, must take place in our hearts is the circumcision of the heart. So he gives these three bewares how to deal with th these things. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evildoers, evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. And I love what he does here because he, he gives you the answers for these bewares right there in the first three verses. When he says beware of dogs, he, he says the mixed breed doctrine, the disease doctrine. Beware of dogs. What do I do? Rejoice. Worship in, in the God and the Spirit. Worship God in the Spirit. Beware of evil workers. Those men who try to rule over you and bring you back under the bondage of works to be saved. Well, what should I do? Rejoice in the Lord. Beware of the mutilation. Watch out for these guys. Well, what should I do? Have no confidence in the flesh. That's what he says. It's brilliant. Because he says, he says there, beware of dogs. Well, what do I do? Worship God in the Spirit. Beware of evil workers. What should I do? Rejoice in the Lord. Beware of the mutilation. Have no confidence in the flesh. And he gives you all the answers right there. I love it. And then verse 4, he kind of goes for the challenge because these guys who are creeping in and deceiving the Philippians, who are based on works and think that they're more righteous than everybody. You ever been around somebody who thought they were more righteous than you? Oh, it's sickening. Oh, what have you done for Jesus? Oh, but I've done this. Oh, that's really good, but oh, let me just straighten you out. Self-righteous. So he, he says, okay, now, if what I'm telling you isn't good enough, he says, listen, if these guys who think that they're getting to heaven by their righteousness, they, they want to do a little, uh, little flesh contest. 
Paul kind of gets himself, I think it's righteous indignation, but he, almost he like takes the bait and he gets into his flesh a little bit. He goes, you want to compare righteousness? Let's, let's do it. Look what he says there in verse 4. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I more so. He says, you want to play the righteous game? The self-righteous game? You want, to, you want to show how great you are because all the things that you've done and show everybody how you're much more righteous than they are? You want to get in the, you want to get in the game with me? You, want to get, you, you ever get like that? You know, you, you hear two guys, they're trash-talking, they're boxers. Boy, I'm going to take you down, I'm going to take you down. Okay, it's on. And only one's coming out of that ring, the winner, right? Paul, in a sense, drops the gauntlet. Paul, in a sense, listen, you, you say it's all about works and, and the flesh and, and it's all about your righteousness. Okay, you want to have a righteousness contest? Bring it. That's what he says. He's like, bring it. Because I'll put you to shame. If you think you can boast in your works, if you think you can boast in the flesh, he says, I more so. You want to play the righteousness game? Wow, this is awesome what he does here. Look what he says. He goes, hey, let's do it. You want to play it? Play it? I'll do it. If anyone else thinks they have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Check it out. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, Pharisee, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I thought you guys would be a lot more impressed. Do you know what he's saying right there? He's saying to these legalists, okay, you, you want to go toe-to-toe? Let's go toe-to-toe. He's, he's saying, circumcised on the eighth day. You know why that's important? Because the Judaizers came in and he circumcised all these guys after Paul, guys that were like in their 20s and 30s and 40s. And, and according to the Word of God, it said it had to be the eighth day, not the seventh, not the ninth, not when you're 13, not when you're 20, not when you're 50. He says, oh, I was, I was circumcised on the right day according to God's Word. Boom. Point. Home team, zero. Point, Paul. And then he goes, I'm from the stock of Israel. Why is that such a big thing? He's saying, I can trace my lineage all the way back to Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel. Those are my descendants. Who are yours? They're all Gentiles. Nails them, point. You ever gone on, what is it, Ancestry.com? Some of you, anybody done that? A little bit? Kind of fun, right? Until you find out you come from a long line of lunatics, right? You're like, oh boy, look, we, oh look, we, we went to Europe and then we came to Germany, Hitler. Paul takes them all the way back to Jacob and he says, I'm of the stock of Israel. Doesn't get any better than that. And then he says of the tribe of Benjamin. Tribe of Benjamin? Why is that so important? Do you know the tribe of Benjamin was the, one of the greatest tribes of all? You say, well, I thought Jesus came from Judah. Oh, I get that. Jesus did come from Judah. But nobody brought more to the table than the tribe of Benjamin to the Jews. Benjamin was Jacob's favorite son, his youngest son. His name means the son of my right hand. He was the only son that was born in the promised land. Benjamin was the only tribe that stayed close to Judah when the ten tribes split. Remember that? Stayed loyal. And if you study closely, the area of Benjamin is where the temple and Jerusalem are. These guys are just getting smacked around. 
circumcised on the eighth day, stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin. And then he says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's a purebred. He's not a mutt. We, we, like, he's, he's talking about pedigree, right? I'm a mutt. I'm a mix of everything. I'm, I'm a mix of all kinds of stuff. Latin, um, Indian, German. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He was purebred. See, a lot of these guys were like, half-breeds or full Gentile or whatever. And Paul says, listen, my mom, 100% Jew. My dad, 100% Jew. Me, 100% Jew. And then he goes on to say, concerning the law, Pharisee, hello, Pharisee. That's a big deal. Because there was only a handful of Pharisees. Everybody wanted to be a Pharisee. If you were a good Jew, you'd love to be a Pharisee because they had power, they had authority, they had wealth. Everyone looked up to them. They were like, they were so special. It was like if it was military, they would be the Navy SEALs. They'd be the Green Beret. They'd be Delta Force. Pharisees. Only a few. They stood out. Paul said, I'm a son of a Pharisee. Pharisee. Big deal. Concerning zeal, he says, you say you got zeal for Judaism? You say you got zeal for the Jews? I persecuted the church. Paul said, talk about zeal. I persecuted the church. These guys coming in, they're telling you that you're saved by faith and you got to get circumcised and you got to do this and do that. I, if it was 30 years ago, I'd come in here and haul you all off to prison or kill you. That's how much zeal I had for God. Until he woke me up on the road to Damascus and I saw the true light and accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. And then finally, the, the seventh thing or whatever, he says, he says, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he says, blameless. Concerning righteousness, you want to you battle righteousness? Blameless. What is he saying? He's saying he's without sin? No, he's not saying that. Because we all know that there's the sins of the heart, right? Paul said, concerning the law, he kept the law, but he said the Tenth Commandment slew him. Those were the sins of the heart. That was covetousness. That's the lust. It's the things that go on in your head that nobody can see. He said, but concerning the law, blameless to the point where you couldn't see the sins of his heart, but you couldn't get him on anything outwardly. You couldn't find anything cheap on Paul on Instagram or Facebook or social media. You couldn't find any photos that popped up on the Daily Esquire, you know, Paul being in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. He said, There's, you, you can't get any dirt on me. Is that amazing? You want to play the flesh game? Let's go toe-to-toe. Let's have a contest right now. You and me, it's on. Circumcised on the eighth day from the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, drop the mic, booyah! I win. That's what Paul's saying. But then he luckily follows it right up with this. Look at verse 7. But these things which were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them 
as rubbish, as dung. King James says dung. He says, you know, all these things I just said, circumcised, eighth-day stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee, blameless. He says, those, were my, those used to be my trophies until I found Jesus. And he says, now I count them like poop compared to what Jesus did for me. Does that make sense to you guys? Do any of you have trophies? We have trophies. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Accomplishments that you did. I get that. We all have trophies or awards with achievement awards or whatever it is. Those are great. You know, you look back on those things and you say, you say, oh yeah, that was, you know, got that 2002 and I got that in 2008. Reminders and it's nice. But see, Paul made those things more important than God in his day. And he says, these things were my trophies, but now I count them but poop compared to what Jesus did for me. And I, I say that because I don't say there's anything wrong with having awards. I'm not saying that at all. Don't get me wrong. But if you're a Christian and you think what you've done for God in the past is somehow giving you greater favor, a stronger position than me, those are your trophies, it ain't happening. Because you can't be any more saved today than you were the day you got saved. And God can't love you any more today than the day He loved you. You don't have to earn His love. You don't have to earn your position. You've already got it. You do those things because you love Him, right? Now I'm also saying that because, check this out. Sometimes as a Christian, I can look back at my trophies, my accomplishments, for why I'm not doing anything today. Oh, what's that picture? Oh, that's missions in Philippines back in 2000. Oh, what's that? Oh, that was missions in Costa Rica 2002. What's that? Oh, it's missions in Africa. Oh, what's that? Oh, we built a church in India right there, yeah. What's that? Oh, it was a big outreach. Oh, man, thousands of people came to the Lord. What's that? Oh, you know, I did this for the Lord. What are you doing today? Oh, I'm not doing anything. I'm taking a break. I've done so much. Aren't you glad God doesn't take a break from you? I, I would, that would be crushing for God to say, you know what, Steve? I've done so much for you. I'm going to take a little break. I'm just going to back off. I'm tired of doing things for you. Oh, you're going to heaven. Don't worry about that. But I won't be helping you until that point. I would freak out. So when somebody tells me about the things they've done in their past, I say, that is awesome. That's encouraging. But what are you doing for Jesus today? Because today's what matters. Tomorrow, yesterday, yesterday. You can't do anything about yesterday, can you? But see, when, when you make that personal achievement, when you, in a sense, win that trophy, you give praises to the Lord. Look what God did through me. God allowed you to achieve that. God allowed you to win. God allowed you to conquer something so you could stand up in front of a bunch of people and go, Jesus did it. I, want, I just want to thank God for everything. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, all my trophies, they're, they're dung. He says, man, all that stuff, the things that were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, check it out, that I may gain Christ and that I may be found in Him, not having my own righteousness 
which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Isn't that beautiful? We want to do good works. We want to serve Jesus. Why? Because He's done so much for us. But He did it all. It's not by my righteousness. Your good works are like filthy rags. I think that verse must have just came alive to Paul when he got saved. And when he looks back on all these things he thought he had accomplished, he thought made him righteous, then he thought back on the scripture by Isaiah which says, my righteousness is as filthy rags. What's that mean? My best, my best is as filthy rags. What does that mean? My best is like used minstrel cloth. That's what the word means. Pretty graphic. My best is a discharge of waste. My best. And he says, I find no confidence in my own righteousness, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Father, we thank you for that truth. And may we never get deceived by a works mentality. Lord, we serve you and we do works of righteousness because we love you, but we know it doesn't save us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just empower us with the Holy Spirit right now to be all we can be, to be more than we were yesterday, and to help us to go forward and do something for you today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to get that thing right. If maybe you were caught up in legalism and you thought it was Jesus and, let's get that thing right today. Now you realize that it's just Jesus only. It's what Jesus did. And so you need to come to Him today. Just pray this in your heart. Lord, I believe You died for me on the cross. And I believe it's not by my works of righteousness, but it's by Your righteousness that I can be saved. And so, Lord, I ask You to forgive me of my sins. I ask You to save me now by Your grace. If you've just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. Now go forward and live for God. And as for the rest of us, put your trust in God. Don't say I can't do something, but that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Lord, I pray that you give divine appointments this week and the power of the Holy Spirit for everybody to do things that blows their minds that they would stand up and just say, I give you glory, Lord Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.